morning, everybody. Good to have you out with us. Good morning, everybody outside, enjoying the wonderful, beautiful weather. I, I heard that you guys are going to start the braai soon. Is that right, Peter? You got that going. Okay. You, you, the, yeah, he's the braai master. <laughs> All right, we're going to begin by singing together when the roll is called up yonder. So if you would stand together with me, you have the song sheet. I should have the song sheet with you there. When the roll is called up yonder, you folks sing from the heart and to the Lord. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more And the morning breaks eternal bright and fair When the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore And the roll is called up yonder I'll be there When the roll, when the roll is called up yonder 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 I'll be there On that bright and cloudless morning When the dead in Christ shall rise And the glory of His resurrection share When His chosen ones shall gather To their home beyond the sky and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll, when the roll is called up yonder. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Let us labor for the master from the dawn till setting sun. Let us talk of all his wondrous love and care. Then when all of life is over and our work on earth is done, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, 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 I'll be there. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for the good singing. Sean, you turn me down just a little bit, please. All right. Are you ready for the roll to be called up yonder? Amen. Amen. My goodness, that would be wonderful. God, let it be today. All right, a few announcements for you. We're having a baptism service just after we're done here this morning. So as soon as we're done, I'm going to try to head out because I need to get changed and get to the venue. Today, we're not doing the baptism at our house like we've been doing. Right around the corner from where I live, there's a guest house called the Sunset Manor uh, Guest House. So if you would, it's, it, proceed to there if you'd like to be a part of this. It's at four, uh, 4 Canal Street, if you're not familiar with the neighborhood. But if, if you're going from the church to my house, just keep going. The road naturally bends to the right, and then just follow that up about half, halfway up the block. You'll see Sunset Manor there on uh, one of the corners. Uh, so right after the service is done, I would say... 
20, 30 minutes later, we'll begin the baptism service. So if any of you'd like to be there to witness that, please make a few minutes, uh, take a few minutes for that. Also, our small group meetings, we have uh, decided to go forward with them starting this Thursday. And we're going to use the same platform and, and program that we were doing previously. We'll have one meeting at uh, Francois's house one meeting at Garrett's house, and then one meeting at our house. This is Thursday from 6 to 7 p.m., and I, I think that we did real well with these small group meetings before. I thoroughly enjoyed them. I think we'll still learn as we continue to go. It's, for many of you, it's very common and normal. For me, it was a brand new thing to try, so maybe I'm the one that's still learning. Uh, let me just remind everybody, this, this time on Thursday evenings, time to offer some um, constructive comments. You know, this sermon helped me in this way. This is what I learned. This is how I applied it. And if you do have questions, you're more than welcome to ask, but clarifying questions just to help you understand what was said the previous Sunday. The time for maybe criticisms or questions, and there is a time for that, uh, different time and a place. That's not really the things to bring up during the small group meetings, uh, but please feel free if you have any questions about these. You can more than welcome to ask myself, Francois, Garrett, uh, our church secretary, Secretary, get all the information that you need. Also, we're going to have another kids' Bible Q&A. This will be the 17th of March, and I, I'm saying this tentatively. I believe we'll do it on this Wednesday at 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. So this is the hour before Bible school. I'm going to try to uh, uh, carve out that hour just to spend with the kids doing this. It'll be on, on live stream. So if moms and dads can help us get the questions organized like you've been doing. I've already had a few questions come in actually. So we're already off and running with that. Uh, but if you would, please help us with, with that. I say tentatively because I have to go for surgery on Wednesday and I'm not quite sure how the recovery is going to go. So I think I should be up and running by that time, but who knows? I, just in case I'm not, that's why I say tentatively. So uh, when it comes to prayer requests, let me mention these few things. I've already mentioned the surgery. If you would, just pray for that. Uh, I have to have my shoulder worked on, and I'm not looking forward to that. So um, actually, I've heard that the surgery is not so bad as the recovery. That's a problem. So if you would, just pray for that. Uh, I will praise God quickly for something many of you for a long time have been praying for my eyes. Thank God, for the first time in two years, I've, I actually had a, a, a week without pain in my eyes. So I can, <laughs> I had to bring, <laughs> this is the old-fashioned bifocals, <laughs> where you have to bring two pair of glasses and switch between the two. So I got my distance glasses on now. From time to time in the sermon, I might switch to where now I can't see you, but I can see, I can see the desk. This week, I actually got a pair of reading glasses, so this, this pair is for my computer, <laughs> and then I got one for the book, and then I got one for people, <laughs> and, and sometimes I still can't see. I just take it all off and get real close, real awkward and uncomfortable. What would you say? <laughs> real close. So, but thank God, this week, the, the pressure and the pain had, wasn't there, so I, man, I am super excited about that. My voice is getting a little bit better as well, so I don't know. I don't know what caused that outside of prayer. I, I didn't change a whole lot. I will, there's one thing I did change, and I'm going to chalk this up to prayer as well. I haven't slept through the night without taking a sleeping pill in the better part of six years. These last two weeks, I haven't taken a sleeping pill. And I, I, I'm going to chalk it up to a lot of prayer and a little bit of, of uh, weaning myself off the pills. So that's, that's exciting. I appreciate the prayers for all that. Also praying for Umizak, continue to do so. He's back home now. 
the surgery went very well. He had that double bypass and still a bit weak, but recovering very well. So he, he's at home in Pretoria with family. He's not back in Potts just yet, but continue to pray for him. And then several of you pitched in and helped with this uh, recent project there in Malawi. We were trying to help Elimon Zeke Zeke to secure a new piece of land for their church. And he wrote me this week. He got the money that our church sent. He bought the, the plot and he said it's an even better piece of ground than what the church has had up until this point. So it really seems as if God worked this out exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or think. Nobody would ask to be evicted from their own church. And that's basically what happened. The previous owner uh, died, the one that gave Elimon the land. His children kicked Elimon and the church off. But now the way it worked out, they, they're able to move their building brick by brick. She, uh, zinc by zinc, moving it to the new site to, to put up a new church there. So that's exciting. Thank you all so much for giving towards that. All right, we're going to sing again. If you would get your song sheets, we're going to sing now, Oh, How I Love Jesus. And I was going to try to do the drums while I did this, but that's not smart. Um, anybody have some drum experience that can just bang the bass drum? Do you say it so you can do it? All right, man. We got a volunteer so now I'm going to have to tell him out loud what I normally tell people in private. When you see my hand come down, hit the drum. Okay. <laughs> Let's all stand. We'll sing together. Oh, how I love Jesus. And you got to sing this from the heart. Amen. Oh, how I love Jesus. There is a name I love to hear, I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ear, the sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, because he first loved me. It tells me of a Savior's love who died to set me free. It tells me of his precious blood, the sinner's perfect plea. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. It tells me what my Father hath in store for every day. And though I tread a darksome path, he'll sunshine all the way. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. It tells of one whose loving heart can fill my deepest woe, who in 
each sorrow bears a part that none can bear below. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. Amen. All right, now on the sermon outline itself, we're going to sing one more, Revive Us Again. Just watch for my hand to go down. We praise Thee, O God, for the Son of Thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, Thine the glory. Hallelujah, Amen. Hallelujah, Thine the glory. Revive us again. We praise Thee, O God, for Thy Spirit of light, who has shown us our Savior and scattered our night. Hallelujah, Thine the glory. Hallelujah, Amen. Hallelujah, Thine the glory. Revive us again. All glory and praise to the Lamb that was slain, who has torn all our sins and has cleansed every stain. Hallelujah, Thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, Thine the glory. Revive us again. Revive us again. Fill each heart with Thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right, let me ask you to please take your Bibles and open them to the book of James, chapter 1, please. James, chapter 1. And we're beginna, going to begin reading in verse number 19 this morning. James 1 and verse 19. And the Bible says here in verse number 19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And this morning we're going to direct our attention specifically to verse 19, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And by the grace of God, just for the next few minutes, I'd like to preach to you a sermon called Use Your Words. 
Before we talk about that, let's use our words and talk to our Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank You for the opportunity to gather, to sing, to pray together, to see one another, to encourage one another, to lift up our voices to You both in in song and now in prayer. And Lord, as I lift up my voice to preach, please guide me. Lord, use the words that are coming out of my mouth. Let them not be mine but Yours. And I pray that as people hear this, that it would sink deep and actually make a change in the way they approach each other, the way they approach you. Help me now, Father, please. Help all of us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I wonder if you've ever heard this phrase before, use your words. Did your parents use that with you growing up? I've heard this before. I've got to switch glasses back and forth. This is going to be an exercise this morning. I didn't hear that phrase myself uh, growing up. My dad He would never, when I started to throw a temper tantrum, and I threw them, uh, I had a younger sister, I have a younger sister, but I was two years older than Pam, and often I'd pick on her, and she'd pick on me back, and I would lose my temper and stomp around the house and start throwing a temper tantrum. My dad would never say, now, Mike, use your words. Now, I'm not against that, by the way. I'm not preaching against that. Help yourself. I think it's a fine thing to say. I think it's good to teach your children to use their words. I believe it's biblical, as you'll see in here today. My dad never said that. All I could hear was the sound of his belt coming out of his pants. That was warning enough. Knock off the temper tantrum. Calm down. It's not right to be acting like this. And I got the picture. And by the way, my dad was not abusing me. He never abused me at all. He was raising me and giving me some discipline and some, and some love. Amen. Uh, The Bible says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Every now and then, that's how you have to show your love. But I am all for the idea of, uh, child, use your words. I thought about naming this sermon slightly differently. Maybe you could call it conflict resolution. That sounded a little too clinical, right? Sounds like you're visiting the psychologist's office. But uh, I think it's actually an apt description of the sermon we are going to be talking about how to resolve conflict between people. Now, before we get into this, let me just give you a few introductory statements from the text itself. Would you look with me in verse number 17? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above. What is this? God will offer His children all the necessary resources in order that they accomplish His purpose. Now, if you look at the last part of the verse, no variableness, no shadow of turning. God made a plan, actually before the foundation of the world, that when He saves somebody, when He gives them the new birth upon their receiving of Jesus Christ as their Savior, God saves that person for a purpose. That is to conform them to the image of Christ. And in order to do that, the Lord will constantly give you every good and perfect gift. Now, sometimes that might be delivered to you in the form of a book or a solid uh, sermon or a friend or loved one in the body of Christ, somebody that is able to help you become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. God's plan has never changed. There's no shadow of turning. There's no inclination. There's no uh, sign that he's ever going to change his mind on this. This is what the plan is. And the Father in heaven will constantly shed forth more light 
on this subject. And that's why James says he's the father of lights. He will constantly give you more and more light, enlighten your path so that you can walk in light. And God, the Bible says God is light, so he's going to give you light to walk in the light to walk with the light. (laughs) If you followed that, well done. (laughs) Verse number 18, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. Now let's break that down a little bit. Of his own will begat he us. God saved us. He begat us. That's the new birth. He did it his way. He's not going to save you according to your will. Those of you that are in Bible school, John chapter 1 actually speaks about this. It says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, not of our own will, not the will of the flesh, not, not the will of man, but of God, right? If we don't make up our own plan. We don't save ourselves through our own efforts. God has made a plan wherein he delivers the word of truth to you. That is the gospel. It says this is why you need to be saved. This is what Jesus did in order for you to be saved. And if you receive it, you are saved. So he says of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. And watch how the last part of verse 18 tells us the purpose of the new birth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let me break that part down a little bit. We are new creatures in Christ once we get saved, correct? It says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. James says, guys, you've been born again. God has given you truth, and he will continue to give you light. Every good and perfect gift. A perfect gift is something that's complete. When he gives it to you, it's all that you need. It will help you become complete. And the promise is God's going to continue to do that so that you can be a living example of what a new creature should be. If somebody were to say, can you illustrate God's plan for mankind, they should be able to point to you and say, you see what God's doing in that person's life? That's what he intends to do for all of us. We should be a kind of first fruits. First fruits is like an evidence or an example of something. It proves what is going to come after So we should be able to point to you and say, if you accept the gospel and continually use the light and the gifts that God sends down to you, this is how you're going to turn out. Now, there are many things, many facets of your life that's going to be affected once you get saved and start using what the Father sends down to you. Every area of your life should change. But one of the first areas to change is verse 19. Notice the first word in that verse, wherefore. Do you see that? Wherefore. So we, there's a connection made between verse 17, 18. God gives you the new birth. He saves you. He sends you down truth and light on a continual basis. He wants you to be a living example of what his purpose is. And because God's doing that, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. One of the first things that should change after you get saved is you stop throwing temper tantrums. You learn how to play nice. You learn how to get along with people. The relationships in your life, how you interact with people, every people, not just the people in your home, not just the ones in your workplace, the ones walking around in town, the ones at school, everywhere, the world over, the way you approach people should change. 
If there's one thing I think that the world has always struggled with, and I think will continue to struggle with, is we don't know how to talk to each other. We don't know how to sit down and have a civil conversation, especially on sensitive subjects. The world is lacking the maturity to sit down and learn from each other. Could you imagine what would happen if we actually sat down and said, I think you have something that I need to hear. I may not agree with you on everything, but I will still hear you out patiently because I think I could learn. Imagine if we approached everybody with that attitude. Imagine if we were to talk about things like politics, racism, COVID regulations, denominational differences, vaccines. What if we were to talk about these things patiently? What if we were to employ James 1.19 and actually be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath? Can you imagine how much better marriages would be? How much better society would be? For that matter, how much better a church would be if everybody were to employ this advice? I've given you a verse on your outline there, Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 5. Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Now, I'll be honest with you, I've never drawn water from a well. I've seen it done. I've seen it done. Where I grew up in Fort Worth, we had something called the Log Cabin Village, and it was a special, almost like a museum. You could walk through it's as if you walked into a time warp, and you're now a hundred years in the past. And it was log cabins, no electricity. You had to make your own candles and draw your own water out of a well. And I watched that lady draw the water out of the well. That takes time. That takes effort. That takes patience. You can't rush the water coming out of the well. If you rush it, you'll spill it. The, the bucket will get to tipping, and all the water will spill out. Counsel in the heart of man, the Bible says, is like deep water. That bucket has to go deep down in there, and then you patiently have to draw it out. You cannot rush in to a conversation with somebody, try to get everything they have to tell you, and rush back out. You've got to take your time. You've got to do it patiently. You've got to do it gently. Imagine how much we could learn from each other if we would learn to use our words instead of our tempers, to actually sit down with open ears and hear what the other person has to say. Let's just look at the verse. I'm, I'm so glad James did this. He alliterated my sermon for me. I didn't have to come up with, you know, three S's. He gave me the three S's for my sermon. So you can see in your outline, this is a simple outline today. Number one, two, and three, swift to hear. That's number one. Number two, guess what it is? Slow to speak. <clears throat> Sorry. Number three, slow to wrath, right? Not difficult, not, not creative even. That's, that's just James. That's what he said. Let's move through this one piece at a time. Swift to hear. Before I get deep into swift to hear, I think I have to preface this by saying, in order for us to be swift to hear someone, someone else has to be willing to talk. Does that make sense? If I'm going to be swift to hear and no one else is willing to sit down and talk with me, what am I going to hear? This brings to mind a verse that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. He said, moreover, if thy brother trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault. Now, it goes without saying that you should do so. When you speak, you do it patiently, gently. You say something 
with the attitude of, I want to fix this, not I want to pound this guy into the ground, but you genuinely want to fix the relationship. So let me sit down and tell you what happened and why my heart has been offended and why I'm upset. Maybe we can fix this. So it, all of this is predicated on somebody being willing to say something that will fix the relationship. When someone calls you up and says, hey, I have an issue, I'd like to talk to you about it. The Bible says, be swift to hear. Swift to hear. When I think of swiftness, I can remember back more than 20 years ago, we used to have special meetings in the church where I went to Bible school. We called them blowouts. It's like a revival meeting, a, an evangelist type meeting. <clears throat> and we would get there an hour early just to get a seat. People would fly in from all over the world for this meeting, drive in from thousands of miles away just to come to church. For, we'd have it Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It was a wonderful time. We'd get there an hour early just to get a seat so that we wouldn't have to stick our head around a column or something to pay attention. We, want, we were eager, right? We got there an hour early because we were eager to hear something that could help us, something that could even fix our relationship with the Lord, to make that relationship better. We were swift to hear that. Somebody calls you up and says, hey, I'd like to talk to you about something that happened between us. I'm eager to get this thing fixed up. I will make time in my schedule. Let me do whatever I can. I want to get there and hear you out. If I can get there an hour early to listen to God, I can surely make some time for my brother or sister in Christ. Let's get this thing fixed up right. In Proverbs 1 verse 5, it says, A wise man will hear and will increase learning. Now just listen to that. A wise man will hear and will increase learning. The first part of that, to me, sounds like an action. I'm going to sit down and listen. A wise man will hear. And then the second part, I think, speaks to the attitude and will increase learning. Why am I trying to hear you out? I, not because I want to argue with you, because I want to understand what's going on in your heart. Maybe I did offend you, maybe I did something, and I wasn't trying to hurt you, but maybe I did. And if you explain it to me and I have open ears and an open heart, I might better understand why there's an issue between us. A wise man will hear and will increase learning. I've given you a verse, Proverbs 9, verse 9. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. What's the opposite of a wise man? A fool. A fool says, I don't need to hear you out. I already know what you're going to say. Do you really? Do you know how many times we approach people like that? I already know what they're going to say. And then you don't even give them a chance to say it. How arrogant. How presumptuous to know what you think you know what's in that other person's heart? That can't be the case. The Bible says man looks on the outward appearance, the Lord looks on the heart. We dare not take the place of God and assume that we know what's going on in somebody else's heart. Now, on the off chance that you actually lucked out and got it right, and you did know what they were going to say, at least you gave them the benefit of saying it. At least you let them speak their heart. A wise man is going to sit down and hear that person out and increase in learning. Have you ever heard this expression, ready, aim, fire? You've heard that, right? You understand why we have that thing in the middle? Ready, aim, 
Fire. Do you know how many times people just ready? Fire! <laughs> cock the hammer. <laughs> cock the hammer. <laughs> Some of us, we have semi-automatics. We just da, 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 da. There's no aim to it. I just want to hear the rat-tat-tat-tat of the gun. Right? I've been to shooting ranges. I, I had this one blessed experience in Idaho. They, one, one brother in the church took me out. He said, hey, Brother Flick, you like guns? I, I really, I'm not a gun guy, to be honest with you. I don't mind them. I'd only shot guns like twice before this. So he said, you like guns? I said, well, I'm willing to learn. He said, all right. He opened up the back of his baki. He had no less than 30 guns. I mean, not, not like pew, pew. I'm talking guns. Oh, man, he was a driving Second Amendment kind of guy. I mean, it was, if you guys know that amendment, I know that's an American reference, but guns everywhere. So we pulled him out. He had machine guns, which, brother, I'm not using your name. Don't know if that's legal, but he, he had semi-automatics. He had big <laughs> When we shoot some of those, it was like a cannon. But every time he would say, now, now, preacher, find a mark down the range. Aim at it and then squeeze the trigger. You don't just grab the gun and start shooting. That well, just makes sense. Otherwise, you're going to hit something you don't intend to hit, and you could really do some damage, right? Ready, aim, fire. Unfortunately, we get this a little confused, and it's ready, fire, aim. <laughs> we, we explode, and then look at what we just exploded. Are you following me? Sometimes we shoot off our mouth, before we actually know what we're aiming at. The reason we want to be swift to hear, let me eagerly sit down with open ears, open heart, open mind. Let me know what I'm aiming at. What exactly is the problem between us? Explain it to me. And by so, in so doing, I am getting my scope set just right. And I'm not aiming at this so that I can get you. I'm aiming at the problem. I want to do away with, eliminate the problem. So by you explaining it to me, it's ready, aim. Okay, now we know what we're dealing with. Patiently, deep breath, right? That's what they taught me. When you, when you squeeze the trigger, take a breath, and then squeeze. You never get excited, because then you're always going to jerk the gun. You just patiently, pull. imagine if we are swift to hear, all right, let's get this thing right in the crosshairs. Okay, there's the problem. Okay, calmly. Calmly, <sighs> shoot the problem down. Rather, rather, we explode and shoot off our mouth and end up hurting something, someone, we didn't really intend to hurt. A wise man is going to open his ears, his mind, and his heart before he opens his mouth. That's part one, swift to hear. I'm eager to hear you out. Now, if you accomplish point one, point two is going to be taken care of. So point one is very important. You've got to start there. Turn your dial. I don't know where, where this went wrong, but somehow society has taught us that it's a badge of honor to lose your temper. Amen. Nature is amening. <laughs> At least somebody's amening, right? The birds of the air shall tell of the matter. <laughs> That's a Bible verse, by the way. Another amen. But society's taught us that. And, and I say that because society affirms people losing their temper. If people shout loud enough and say nasty enough things, you know what we do? We put them on the news. 
We say, okay, since you have such a bad attitude and you know how to fire off at the mouth, we'll put you on the nightly news so that everybody can hear what you have to say. We put them on Facebook. We repost. We, give them, we, we send them out to go viral. Even if you don't like them, what you're doing is saying, we will listen as long as you're nasty about how you say it. We affirm the idea that if you have a bad attitude and a quick temper, you've accomplished something. Even with, with parents and children, the children throw a fit, and what do we do? We give them what they want so that they stop throwing the fit. You're teaching them that throwing a fit is something good. And rather than saying, booty sissy, calm down, listen to what I have to say. And teaching them this process, right? We affirm the opposite. Imagine if we got number one right, swift to hear, rather than swift to judgment. Swift to hear, and then slow to speak. That's po point number two, slow to speak. I, I, when I was thinking on this point, I thought about Moses. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think he's a perfect match for this point. But let me tell you why I'm giving this information anyway. The Bible says in Exodus 4 that Moses was slow of speech. You guys remember that? Moses said it himself, I am slow of speech, I'm not eloquent, I don't know how to speak. The Bible also says that Moses was the meekest man in all the earth. Now I got to thinking about those two points together. I wonder, I don't think that his slowness of speech is the only reason he was meek, right? I don't think it's the reason he was meek, but I think it helped. Because if you are not good with words, you generally are a little bit shy about speaking up. And that helps you to be slow to speak. So his slowness of speech helped him to be slow to speak. That is integral if you're going to be meek. You do not violently react when somebody gives you a criticism. Rather, you calmly think about it, hear them out, and then measure your words carefully, offer a reaction after that. It gives you time. When you're slow to speak, it gives you time to think about what is the appropriate reaction to this? As the life of Moses progresses, you know that over and over again, he was tested with his meekness. The children of Israel constantly provoked him, right? Constantly accused him of things that were not his fault. And over and over, he would say, why do you murmur against me? Why are you murmuring against Aaron? We are not the ones to blame. And Moses would always go to God in prayer. God would tell him what to do to fix it, and Moses would fix it. But then one day, Moses, I think, just had enough. The story is in Numbers chapter 20. The people of Israel coming out and saying, Moses, you brought us out of Egypt, which wasn't true. The Lord brought them out of Egypt. Moses, you brought us out of Egypt. We had everything we needed in Egypt, and you brought us out. Now we're hungry, and we're thirsty, and we're suffering, and it's all your fault. And their problem at that moment was really water. They didn't have enough water in that one location to drink. You know what Moses did? What he always did. He went to pray. He and Aaron both, they went to pray and they fell down before the Lord and said, Lord, you know what these people are saying. What should we do? You guys remember this story? God says, Moses, take that rod, take the rod, and go stand before the people and speak to the rock. Don't hit it. Speak to the rock. And I will bring forth water abundantly out of the rock and satisfy the congregation. Don't say anything to the people. You know, if you're slow to speak, if you think before you speak more often than not, you'll find you don't need to say anything. 
I think a lot of times we mess things up because we, we think that our words are going to fix it all. Instead of using your words, you might want to use God's words, <laughs> right? Instead of use your words, use His words. Say, maybe I don't need to answer this at all. Doesn't the Bible say, answer not a fool according to his folly? Lest thou be like unto him. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes the answer is stay quiet and don't say anything. God said, Moses, don't talk to the people. Speak to the rock. Who's the rock? Not Dwayne Johnson. Who's the rock? <laughs> the rock, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4, the rock was Christ. That rock that you read about in Exodus 17, Numbers 20, it is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Numbers 20, it says, speak to the rock. You know, for a lot of the situations that you're faced with, trying to resolve conflict, you're much better off talking to Jesus Christ than talking to that person. Letting God work on their heart rather than you trying to chisel at their hard heart. Moses, speak to the rock. Don't even speak to the people. You know what Moses did? He grabbed that rod. Now, the reason God told him to take the rod and still speak instead of swing the rod, God wanted the people to see not everything gets fixed by bashing it with a rod. Sometimes you have the rod, you have the authority, but you don't have to go swinging it every time. Sometimes you just gently speak to the rock. Moses said, well, I got this rod. I might as well use it. He stands up before those people. He says, hear me now, ye bunch of rebels. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? Whack, whack. And he cracked that thing twice, and the water came out, and the people, they just drank it up. Now, we might read that story and go, ah, see, problem solved. People are satisfied. Moses, oh, he feels a bit better. He got out his rage. You know what God did? Immediately, God stepped in and said, Moses, you're not going to get to go into the promised land. You did not sanctify me before the congregation. You didn't do it my way. You tried to fix it your way. Listen, of his own will begat he us by the word of truth. We're supposed to do it God's way, not our way. You say, well, the people are satisfied. They're drinking water. Yes, and now they've learned that through complaining, you can lose your temper and somebody will fix it. That's not the right lesson. That's not what God wanted them to learn. How many times do we think, well, I shouted loud enough. I said something that was so intimidating, so scary, it shut the mouth of my opponent. Problem solved. Oh, no, no, no. They may not be willing to talk to you anymore, and maybe they're not going to argue with you further, but you haven't gained your brother. You have not built up that relationship. You've taught them that you are not approachable. So you won the battle and lost the war. The Bible says, and I've given you on the, uh, the bottom of your outline, Psalm 106, verse 33, because they provoked his spirit. Now, this is speaking about Moses at the rock. Because they provoked his spirit so that he spake unadvisedly with his lips. Here is the meekest man in all the earth, and the one time he lost his temper, it cost him the promised land. The Bible says he spake unadvisedly with his lips. He said something that God told him not to say. If you look at the Hebrew behind that, spake unadvisedly, that phrase, you know another way to consider it? You could say he blurted something out. You know how many times somebody has done something to us and rather than calmly listening to their side of the story and then thinking about what we need to say, we step in without listening and just blah, blurt something out. It's going to cost you. 
It's going to cost you potentially that relationship, and it will hinder your relationship with God as well until you make that thing right. Can I ask you to hold your place in your Bible and flip over to Ecclesiastes chapter 5? Would you do that with me, please? I want to show you this verse because this verse is not about relationships so much. This is speaking to a different subject, a different context, but I still think there's a principle that we can learn. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 1. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 1. Keep, oh, got to switch glasses. All right, now I can read it. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. All right, question, what is the sacrifice of fools? It's saying something that you haven't thought about. Now, you'll see that in verse 2. Be not rash with thy mouth. I'll, I'll tell you the other side of that coin. Be slow to speak. Be not rash with thy mouth. Yeah? Which, which pair do I have on now? Okay. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty. Yeah, let's say hastig. Let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. Let's talk about those verses for a moment. What's he getting at? Now, just for the sake of time, we won't go through all seven verses in this passage. But here's, here's what Solomon's trying to get across. When you go down to the house of God, don't just rush in there and start making promises and vows to God that you're not able to keep. If you do so, you might end up promising more than you're able to do, and verse 6, suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Now you've promised more than you can give. You've, bit, you've bitten off more than you can chew. You're going to get in trouble for that. He says, neither say thou before the angel that it was an heir. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thy hands? Why? Because you promised something that God didn't desire. You might have had good intentions, but that wasn't something that God really wanted. Keep, I find it interesting in verse 1, keep thy foot, right? Keep thy foot. But the rest of the passage is about your mouth. Keep your foot out of your mouth. <laughs> keep your foot, when you go to the house of God, keep your foot out of your mouth. Now, let me, let me bring it into maybe more of our situation um, I, I love a good, hearty amen. amen. There we go. <laughs> I, I knew I had one waiting for me here. I wasn't sure about everywhere else. Thank you out there. Oh, we had an amen out there. Okay. I feel like an auctioneer. And amen here, amen here. Amen, amen. <laughs> See if I can get a few amens out of this. I love a good, hearty amen. I, I, think it's, I think it's biblical. I think it's helpful. I think it helps the church. I think it helps you as an individual. I like an amen. But... I like an educated amen. I like an educated amen. I remember one time I was listening to Jasper Williams preach, African-American uh, preacher. Man, he's, whoa, he can preach. That guy can, he can preach. And he was preaching one day, and he got it up into the high hum. Now, you folks know the high hum, yeah. He got into that, that, oh, man, you know when he gets it into the high hum, you're ready to take off. And he was preaching that day about, the name of the sermon was, I fell in love with a prostitute. 
for those of you that know your Bible, it's the book of Hosea. That's the story of the book of Hosea. Chapter 1, God says, go marry a prostitute. So he did. Gomer. So he's preaching from that, and he was describing Gomer, the, the harlot in the story. And, and she had the wavy black hair. You could hear the congregation going, mmm, yes. <laughs> and she had on those fancy nails. Ooh, tell it like it is, preacher. And then he got to the part where he said, and then, and then this harlot, she's living like a harlot does a wicked woman. And, and one of the men in the crowd went, that's all right. That's the wrong response. <laughs> you got to think before you say this stuff. You can't just blurt it out. Now, I'm all for interaction with the crowd, but you got to think, right? Sometimes the, it's best not to amen a point. <laughs> Now, what Jasper said was right. He's just describing what that harlot had done, but that's not the time to say, hmm, that's all right. No, 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 it's not. No, it's not. I like the idea of coming to church, and when you hear truth, and you know that's true, you say amen. Amen means that's true. That's right. I agree with that. That's, it's, it's good. It's right to do. But only after you've heard the entire point and you know it's so. When the preacher says, we need to do more of this and less of this, if you have no plans on doing more of that and less of that, don't say amen. Because one day you stand before the judgment and God says, you were in that service and preacher so-and-so said this. You were down there going, amen, amen. Did you actually listen to what he said? Because it sounded as if you were on board, but then the next day you completely forgot about what was said. You agreed to it. I wonder if your words are binding. I wonder if the words are important. Let's measure this with what Jesus said. Every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof at the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Those words are important. You better think about them before you say them. They say, Brother Mike, you've kind of taken a left turn. You're talking about saying amen in church. Let me bring my point back into our sermon. Before you sit down and let your mouth just explode and fly off the handle and get angry at that person, you better think about what you're saying to them. When you say something like, I don't ever want to see you again. Don't ever talk to me again. You better think about that. Those words carry more weight than you imagine. Let it be a measured response. Think before you speak. You might even want to say this. Somebody comes and says, here's the situation. You say, thank you for telling me what's on your heart. Would you give me a little bit of time to pray about this? I'm not really sure how to respond. I want to think about it. I want to pray about it. I'll come back to you as soon as I can because I want this to be right. What if we approached it like that? Wouldn't that be slow to speak? What if, you know what I'd love to see? You sit in church, you hear the preaching, and it's true. And rather than say amen, you think about it. You know, hmm, I wonder if that's true. And you wake up at like 2 a.m. going, amen. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> if I get a WhatsApp at 2 a.m., amen, preacher, <laughs> I'm going to know that you thought about it. <laughs> you finally got around to being, you know, you did slow to speak. <laughs> you accomplished that at least, right, at least. I think that's an appropriate response for South Africa, right? Yeah, I'm coming, I'm coming. Now, now, I'm coming. <laughs> I'll get there eventually. <laughs> That amen will finally make its way out. Think before you speak. Slow to speak. One last point back in James chapter 1. 
swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Third point, slow to wrath. Now, as I've said before, if you accomplish point one and point two, I think point three will take care of itself. The problem is we tend to reverse the process, right? We, we read the verse backwards. We have a bit of dyslexia when we read it. We're quick to wrath. We start at the wrath part. Quick to wrath, then we speak, and then eventually, if at all, we listen. And what happens when you decide to start off angry, right? Then you listen angry. You speak angry. Everybody's going to end up angry. Wouldn't it be so much smarter to stop and actually hear the whole situation out and say, let me decide whether or not this is worth being angry over. It's hard to put a number to this because I don't know who you deal with in your life on a day-to-day basis, but I think this is just generally true. I'd say about 90% of the things we get upset about are not worth being upset about. Now, maybe that's just my own personal experience. When I am when I investigate my own life and I look, where have I lost my temper? Where did I get quick to anger? Almost 90% of the time, it wasn't even worth my time. It wasn't worth getting stirred up over. And yet I was quick to get angry. What if we did this? Go through the steps in their order. Quick to hear. Listen, but with the attitude of, I want to fix this relationship. And then consider speaking. You don't have to speak. Consider speaking. And again, with the idea of as I say this, I'm going to say this not to vent my frustration, but I'm going to say this because I really care about this person and I want to help them. I want to help me. I want to help our relationship. So what I'm going to say, let me think about it, make sure that it's edifying words. Use your words. Give diplomacy a chance. Don't just start off in a war. Give diplomacy a chance. Talk it through. After you've heard what they've had to say, and watch this, sometimes we, get, we go point one, point three, point two. I've heard what you had to say, fine. That's stupid. What you said was stupid. Stupid. I'm angry because you're stupid. And you know what we do next? Then we talk. Guess what attitude is coming forth from us? Because you're stupid, I'm going to make sure you know you're stupid. So and then I'm going to talk to you like your little children. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because I don't think you can understand if I talk like an adult. So I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to condescend because you're stupid. Did you know people can sense when you're doing that? And they never take it well, even though what you say might be true because of the attitude you're giving it with. It doesn't hit home. It doesn't help. Don't mess with the order of this. The order God gave us is perfect. Swift to hear. Let me think it through. Slow to speak. What will be helpful? Because maybe we can fix this situation by simply talking it out. Maybe we don't have to separate and and stay apart. Maybe we can actually dwell together in peace, unity. Let's use our words and see if they can actually bring about a peaceful resolution. The Bible says, as much as lies within you, live peaceably with all men. Give it a chance. Maybe by saying the right thing, you can educate them a little bit and fix the situation. Maybe. Now, by the end of the whole situation, you've heard them out, 
you've said what you needed to say, and they are not willing to repent, and they are going to stand strong in the position of, I don't care that you're offended. Don't care. Don't care about you. Don't care about your feelings. There are some times you need to be angry. I'm so glad you're taking time to say amen there. <laughs> Is that true? 2 a.m., amen. <laughs> I'll give you a Bible verse, and now you can say amen, because after I give it to you from the Bible, you know it's true. Be ye angry. Amen. Ephesians 4.26, be ye angry. Amen. <laughs> what, what's the last part of that verse say? And sin not. So if I'm going to be angry, justifiably angry, I have to be able to say I was swift to hear, I was slow to speak, and then after that process had its chance, that person still is in the wrong and being mean and hurtful and so forth. There's a need then to be angry. There's a time and a place for that, but there's a right way to manage it and to handle it. If you put it first, then you've already sinned. But again, I want to remind you of the numbers. The vast majority of the time, if you patiently listen, patiently speak, you'll find there's no reason to be angry you'll find that it doesn't help. The very few times it's appropriate, the very few times, then if you just pray about it further, God will show you how to deal with your anger. There are processes in the Bible that when you need to take the second, the third, the fourth step, there are processes in the Bible for working that out. This process will eliminate the need for a lot of that anger. I th let me use an illustration that I think all of us are familiar with, right? Anytime you want to get from point A to point B, um, you know, you need to know where point B is at first, right? You, you need to think about the destination. Don't just start off walking without anywhere to go, aimlessly wandering about. That's a vagabond. You don't want to do that. If I know that's the destination, okay, then this is the quickest way to get there. Sometimes you got to cross a road to get to the destination, yes? Sometimes you got to cross that road. Before I cross a busy road in South Africa where people don't always drive that well, and there are minibus taxis, I need to first consider, is that destination worth getting to? Now, the destination I'm speaking of, what's the last thing in the verse? Verse 19. Wrath. Right? That, if that's the final word, the final destination, is it worth getting there? Is it worth crossing this street? Most of the time, no. There's no need to get angry over this. No need. If you were to get angry, it's just selfish. It's not going to bring about any positive change. But the very few times that you need to get to that destination, right, you need to get there very slowly. Have you seen people in South Africa cross the street? Am I telling the truth? Somebody can say amen at this point. I mean, this is true. Eh? And, and, and you know what's best is when your car is right there next to the crosswalk, and they get right there, and then they just stop, and, and they just kind of look at you like. You know what they're saying? I know what they're saying. This is going on in their minds. I know it. I don't have to, and you can't make me. That's what they're thinking. I don't have to. You can't make me. Right? I don't have to go faster, and you can't make me go faster. If you lay on the horn, you know what it does? It slows them down. 
I'm waiting for the day that one of them sits down on, my, on, the, <laughs> on the front of the car and says, ah, you see, you've got to make me. <laughs> and you can't. What, what's the point of getting angry? It's not going to make them go fast. It's just going to go slow, slow. I'm going, I'm going. Now, let's use that. Listen, we're not going to change that. It's part of who we are here. When you get to the crosswalk, it's a time for you to breathe. Breathe. It's okay. That person will eventually go. You're not in India. Botma, back me up here. In India, when a cow comes into the road, traffic stops. You can't move. A cow can sit down in the road. You're not allowed to honk at the cow. Amen. So the next time you get somebody slowly crossing, say, well, thank God they're not a cow. <laughs> right? That would be a different, I want to say a horse of a different color. That's a cow of a different color. Right? At least you're not there. He said, Brother Mike, why are you telling us this story? I, I think we can use this to our advantage. Let's learn something from this. If I'm going to get to that destination of wrath, I want to get there slowly. Slowly. So I'm going to one step at a t- one step at a time. One step at a time. What do you have to say? Okay, I'm listening. Yes, I'm listening. Ah, is that true? Ah. Aha, okay, okay, okay. And you, what do you say? Ah, let me hear you. Okay, speak. <laughs> this guy's waiting. <laughs> this guy's waiting. Uh, but I'm, I, I don't want to rush. Take your time. Let me hear you. Okay, let me hear you. Okay, let me pray. Ah, should I answer? Ah, should I answer? Let me think. <laughs> Traffic's still stuck. You say, we're not making any progress. No, we are going to make progress. We're just going to get there slowly. You can't rush this. You can't get the water out of the well quickly. The bucket will tip and the water will pour out. If, if, we're, going to be, if we're going to do this right, you've got to do it patiently. Now, now, if you're like me and you hear that, you go, oh, this doesn't work. This can't be right. Because if, if we're going to fix something, let's get answers. Let's do it quickly. Let's fix it now. Pastor, preach a sermon that tells me how to fix all the problems in my life right now before I leave the church building. Impossible. It doesn't happen. Tell me something that I can say to my wife or my husband that will fix the marriage. Something I can say to my kids so that they get along with me and I get along with them. Something that will fix Pachastrum, this society, so that nobody fights with each other anymore. I'm giving you the only acceptable process. You go slowly. Say, I will listen to your problems. What is wrong? Okay, I'm going to fix that. Thank you for that. Slowly. That's the process. You try to lay on the horn and hurry up, hurry up, get out of the road, hurry up. Okay, well, it's not going to work. Just take your time, breathe, listen, think, speak if you have to. Nine times out of ten, you put one foot in the road, Right? And you see the car, zoom, 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 zoom. You go, okay, it's not worth it. <laughs> you, you, may, you may not even have to cross the road to wrath. You may be able just from the curb to say, hey, uh, sorry, sir, can we chat about this? Talk about this? Oh, oh, okay, now I get it. Now I understand why, you've co- why we're at this crossroads, why you're going this way and I'm going this way. I see, okay, I get it, I get it. You know what? Now that you've told me this, you've got me turned around now we can walk together. Now we can move in the same direction. You know, I was going the wrong way. I'm so sorry. And we never even have to cross the road to wrath if we just take our time 
and let God's process do its work. Can I show you one last thing in the Bible? Isaiah chapter 1. Would you turn there with me, please? Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. Isaiah 1 verse 18. This is coming from the mouth of God. As you see here, it says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. If you know this story, he's talking to the nation of Israel. They are living in open rebellion to him. They are being nasty to him. They are basically mocking the house of God every time they come to it. It is offending the Lord. So much so that if you look at verse number, what, 14? Look at 14. Your new moons and your appointed feast my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. God says, I'm tired of this. Have you ever got to that point with somebody else in your life? I'm tired of the way you're behaving. Look at how God reacts. Verse 18, come now. Let us reason together. Have a seat. Let's talk about it. Why are you acting like that? Did you know that that hurts me? Do you know that offends me? And God says, I want to fix this up. Now, in verse 16, 17, he tells them what to do to make things right. And then he says, guys, come now. Come. He scheduled what we would call a coffee, you know. Let's sit down and chat about this. Let's reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God has made a way to reconcile with mankind. In Isaiah 1, the blood of Christ had not been shed yet, but now, oh, the good news is so much gooder. That's really badder English, but, <laughs> but it makes for a gooder sermon. Now we have the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin, and God says, listen, we can make things right. If you have some issues with me, if you have some problems with how I've allowed your life to turn out, come talk to me. And I will give you an answer. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, and God will give an answer. Ask, and it shall be given you. Knock, and it shall be opened. Right? Seek, and ye shall find. God says, come, let's talk. By the end of that conversation, God will show you a way to get that relationship fixed up, and He's going to point straight to the blood of Christ and say, He died in your place so that the problems that you and I have can be dealt with. The separation between us can be done away with, and we can be reconciled. Now, after all the offensive behavior we've given to God, if He is willing to say, come now, let's reason, shouldn't we, as a kind of first fruits of His creatures, shouldn't we follow this example and reach out to the people around us and say, hey, come, sit, let's reason this out. Is there a way that we can get back together? Can we make the relationship right? God went out of His way to make, let's say, to provide the necessary sacrifice so the two can be made one. Shouldn't we also go out of our way to do what we can to get along with those around us? Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And we've talked this morning about use your words. That's just the name I gave to the sermon. I would rather you actually use God's words. Yes, at a point you're going to have to use your words. 
You do need to share your heart with the people around you. That's true. But I would much rather that you use God's words. Rather than assuming you already know everything that was in that other person's heart, give them the privilege of explaining it to you. You might just learn something. Before you fire off at the mouth, take time to aim. Know what exactly you need to to speak about. Measure your words carefully. And then, and only then, decide, is this worth being angry about? Is, Is my anger actually going to help at all? And on the rare occasions that it's necessary, pray and say, God, what do I do next? How should I take this next step? If you have never been saved, if you've never been born again, the word of truth that provides the new birth, it is this, that Christ laid down his life so that you could have life. And until you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's going to be a barrier between you and God. Your sins separate you from Him. God calls out to you this morning, come, let's reason together. I've made a way for you to come home, come home. We should be an example of what God can do in a person's life. And that will first manifest itself in how we interact with the people in our lives. Father, thank you for your help this morning. Not just to, to stand and speak this sermon. But Lord, the fact that you gave us these words in the Bible, you've given us the instructions we need so that we can get along with the people around us. Thank you, Father, for patiently, gently dealing with us, inviting us to come and reason, talk things through with you. Thank you for making a way for us to come home. Father, help us this week and the weeks to follow to employ, to use the words that James has given us here. Help us to get the order right. Father, I pray that you'd help us to find peace one with another and peace within ourselves using this advice. Have your hand upon us, please, as we head to the baptism and the rest that we have to do today, uh, today, the evening service. Please meet with us again. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for your time. Lord willing, if you'd like, we'll see you at the baptism at the Sunset Manor in just about 20, 30 minutes.